Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for this last Sunday of our Summer Waterside series. So if you want to get a picture in the, uh, the little display back here after service, today is your last day to do that. But before we begin, I just wanted to let you know that next Sunday we're going back to two services at 9 and 11 a.m. So if you're here at 10 a.m., then depending on your perspective, you'll either be very late to our first service or we'll, we'll just say that you're very early to our second. <laughs> now, for those of you joining us online, our 9 a.m. first service will be live-streamed. And for those of you with kids, CP Kids will be available at both services, but the nursery will only be open at the second service. Now, what an awesome summer series this has been, hasn't it? So, water is such a simple substance, and yet we experience it in so many different ways. In a glass, in a pool, in a downpour, on a misty morning, as a stream, or a lake, or a river, or an ocean. And as we've seen over the summer, God has even more ways to speak to us through water. We've seen God calm raging storms, part overflowing rivers, and invite us to receive living water that will well up inside us to eternal life. Just last week, we were blessed to have Pastor John Simons here, who shared with us what it means to be fishers of people. And a few weeks before that, Pastor John Sherwood shared with us from the book of John, chapter 4, where Jesus and his disciples are traveling, traveling through Samaria on their way from Jerusalem to Galilee. Now, during this time, Jesus has a conversation with a Samaritan woman by a well that not only ends up changing her life, but leads to the transformation of her entire community. Today we're in John chapter 5, and Jesus is back in Jerusalem. He's moved from this region that has deep-seated enmity with the rest of Israel to the very center of Jewish worship. And yet, as we'll see, there are still plenty of opportunities here to show God's love and power in unexpected ways. Let's read God's word this morning. Afterward... Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda, or Bethsaida, with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. 
he rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well. So stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the men went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Before we go any further, let's pray once again this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the incomparable gift that is your word to us. Thank you that through it we can see your character, know who you are, and know your mighty saving works. God, thank you that it is living and holy and active and continues to speak to us powerfully today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message that you have given to me this morning, and I pray that you would get me out of the way and speak through me, that it would be your words and not mine. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless this message to the ears and minds and hearts of all of us this morning, and that you would continue to work in us through it. In your name we pray, amen. amen. So let's take a minute to put ourselves into the shoes of this man leading up to his encounter with Jesus. Now, some early manuscripts of John's gospel add an extra detail of what was going on at the pool. It says that they were waiting for a certain movement of the water, for an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. And the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease he had. However, the earliest manuscripts of John's gospel don't include this detail. So we should be careful about how much we draw from it. The point is that this pool has been blessed to be a place where people's injuries and illnesses are washed away in the water. Now, the text doesn't tell us how old this man was when he began experiencing his health challenges nor does it tell us exactly what he's dealing with. Now, based on the fact that he talks about someone putting him into the water, it's reasonable to guess that he has some sort of mobility limitation, whether that's because of an injury, a neuromuscular disorder, or one of many other causes. Regardless, he has been suffering with this for a very long time. And you can imagine just how excited he must have been when he first heard about this pool and how eagerly he would have asked his friends and family to take him there. And for, for this man, it seems that there's both good news and bad news. 
the good news is that there is a place of miraculous healing available to him. The bad news is that the very reason why he's at the pool in the first place is the same reason why he can never seem to be the one to experience healing there. Again, you can imagine that the first few times this happened, it was probably frustrating, but, you know, okay, there's always next time. But as this continued to happen over and over again, day after day, year after year, how easy would it have been to become hopeless and even cynical about the pool? How easy would it have been to begin to think each time someone got into the water, that could have been me. And maybe even that should have been me. Maybe this place that used to hold so much wonder and promise has now become an ongoing painful reminder of his limitations. But I think it's important for us to note that he is still at the pool after all these long years. We don't know why, and maybe he doesn't even know why, but something keeps him from throwing in the towel and asking for someone to take him home. Now, I'm sure that for many of us this morning, these kinds of thoughts and emotions are all too familiar. Maybe it isn't for physical healing, but maybe there's a breakthrough a new stage of life, an opportunity that you passionately desire to see happen in your life or in the life of someone close to you. And you've seen it work out for other people, but for some reason it just doesn't seem to be working out for you or for them. There's always someone else who gets into the water first, or you're never there at the right time, or it seems like the situation's about to be resolved, but then some new problem comes up every single time. In these types of situations, like the man in today's passage, it can become easy to be focused on the one way or the few ways that we see out of our situation because we feel stuck where we currently are and we see all the blessing and all the freedom available on the other side. And especially for those of us who follow Christ, we can often think of specific channels through which we've seen God work in the past and through which he continues to work in the present. And so for those who are feeling stuck this morning, I have a question. What is your pool of Bethesda? What is a way or what are ways in which you've seen God miraculously work over and over again to provide freedom and healing and whatever else it is that you so passionately desire right now? Maybe it's a person or a group of people with gifts of prayer and healing. Maybe it's a specific church or an organization, a retreat, a conference, a song, a spiritual experience. The possibilities go on and on. And maybe unlike 
the man in this passage, the reason why it isn't working out for you or your loved one isn't so obvious. Now, the problem is that when we fixate on the one way or the few ways that we see out of our situation, and when we insist that our pool of Bethesda is the way that God is going to work, the way that he's going to deliver us, then we can miss out on what he actually wants to do for us. And we can become consumed with trying to figure out, okay, how do I push myself into experiencing God's blessing? How do I move just that little bit quicker so that I'm the first one at the pool? How do I try just that little bit harder or find the perfect strategy so that I don't miss out next time? As this man continues to wait for the movement of the water, the Messiah arrives on the scene. Jesus sees this man and knows that he has been ill for a long time. And so he goes and asks him a question. Would you like to get well? Or in other translations, do you want to be healed? It's a simple question, and yet for this man, it has become so wrapped up in the pain and frustration of never being able to open his one doorway out. And so he doesn't really answer the question. Instead, he focuses on the reasons why he can't get the answer he wants, not realizing that the answer is right there in front of him. He's so focused on waiting for the next movement of the angel that he doesn't know that he's talking to the commander of angel armies. Now, I'm sure that many of you are familiar with a show called The Chosen, which is about the life of Jesus. I had several people recommend that I watch the episode that's about this story. And having watched it, I can see why. In that episode, Jesus and the man at the pool have a bit of a longer conversation than what's here in Scripture. And when the man says, I can't get into the pool, someone always gets there ahead of me, Jesus answers him by saying, that's not what I asked. I'm not asking about who's helping you, or who's not helping, or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. And a moment later, he says, you don't need this pool. You only need me. And so I ask you again, do you want to be healed? Whatever channel of God's blessing you're staring at or striving for, you don't need it. You only need God himself. And and that doesn't mean that the normal channels through which God works aren't good. God can send a mighty river of living water to heal the 99, and he can send a tiny stream to heal the one. Both are good, both are beautiful, and both are reasons to praise and trust him. 
Now, and so Jesus commands this man to stand up, pick up his mat, and walk, and his healing is immediate. He stands up and rolls up his sleeping mat, knowing that this porch by the pool is no longer his home. And yet his troubles are not over yet. A group of religious leaders comes up and accuses him of sinning by carrying his sleeping mat on the Sabbath. And that's based on their definition of what counts as work rather than what's actually in the Torah. Now, if you're anything like me, when you first heard this reaction, your first thought was probably, really? It would be ridiculous enough to count carrying a sleeping mat as law-breaking work if this man was a complete stranger. But he's been here for 38 years at this pool in Jerusalem. And so many of these religious leaders have probably seen him before and know about his condition. In fact, you might wonder if some of them have prayed for him and the other people at the pool before. Maybe they've even prayed with him. And here the answer to their prayers is standing right in front of them. And they are more concerned with the fact that that answer doesn't line up with their etiquette and routines. Now, before we think too harshly of these religious leaders, like many moments like this in the Bible, it's important for us to remember that the very same mistake can be something that we easily make. You see, when we focus so heavily on God's typical ways of providing blessing and deliverance, not only can we be blinded to what he actually wants to do, but we can end up rejecting or turning away from it in favor of what's normal. Now, a minute ago, I mentioned that it's both comforting and discomforting to think about, uh, to expect the unexpected when it comes to God. Now, allow me to crank up that discomfort just a few notches more. So, I, so, I think I forgot to ask this actually, but the main question for today is what if God's answer to your prayers looks completely different from what you're picturing. And then again, let me crank up that, that discomfort just a bit more by asking, what if God's answer to your prayers is something that you don't like? You see, it's one thing to trust God if his way of answering our prayers is something that we like even though it's not quite what we expected. It's another thing to trust him when his way of answering our prayers is something that we didn't hope for at all. Are we willing to trust that God is infinitely wise and gracious to know what's best and to provide what is truly best for us? Now, a minute ago, 
Now, when it comes to responses to prayer that are difficult to accept, my mind goes to Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. In this letter, Paul is talking about the fact that he refuses to boast in any of his qualifications or achievements, even though he would have a long list to ramble off if he did. He even refuses to brag about these surprisingly great revelations that he and his fellow Christ followers have received from the Lord. And this humility isn't from Paul's own goodness. Rather, he says that in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul earnestly and understandably pleaded with God three times for this thorn in his flesh to be taken away from him. He said, God, will you please show me freedom from this thorn? And God said, no, I am going to show you freedom within having that thorn. Now, certainly this isn't what Paul hoped for, nor, nor is it the way that God heals all people with thorns in the flesh. But by the grace of God, it allowed Paul to continue to grow in surrender to Christ and for Christ's love and power to shine all the more brightly through him. So what will we do when we feel stuck and cut off from God's blessings? Well, first of all, we shouldn't ignore the normal or typical channels through which God works. But we also shouldn't become so focused on the way out of our situation that we lose sight of the one who makes a way. And speaking of that, we should also keep in mind that God often desires to do important work in us and through us in these difficult situations. Like Israel in the wilderness, God is far more concerned about who we are than he is with where we are. And like Paul with his thorn in his flesh, oftentimes the frustration and pain and feelings of stuckness can be just the catalyst we need to fall ever more deeply in love with God. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come up this morning. But I'd like to close with a few verses from another of Paul's letters, this time to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 8, Paul is talking about the amazing reality of our new life in Christ, that we are no longer bound by the law of sin and death, 
but we have been set free to walk according to the Spirit. In Romans 8, verse 18, Paul says that I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And at the end of that same chapter, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever situation we're facing right now, it is not even worth comparing with the glorious reality of our life in Christ. We don't know how God will make a way for us. And it might look completely different from anything that we expect or even what we want. But by God's infinite power and wisdom and love, he does make a way indeed. Amen.